Well, thank you everyone for allowing me to come here and to share God's word with you, especially of course to Pastor Nick and the eldership team for inviting me, uh, as well as the worship team. Thank you so much for serving on the day like this. It's been difficult years, I think, for all of us. This pandemic has been challenging. And so I think I wanna, I wanna take a huge course of just saying thank you so much for being able to attend and to kind of go through these different transitions that we're going through. It takes a lot. And so we really appreciate everyone who's been serving here and been coming out to these services. And so thank you. I've missed all your faces. It's been a long time. And so it's so great to see you all here. And let me just start off by telling you guys about uh, my time and my adventures of actually going to church early on. When I went to church early on, it was challenging. Uh, I didn't always have my parents with me. I kind of came on my own. And I went to this church in Mississauga. And the way I went there was actually getting a drive. And so my parents would drive to uh, a friend's house and their father would actually drive me to church. Now, I loved his kindness and his graciousness to drive me Sunday after Sunday to church and then driving back home. One of the things that was challenging about the drive there, though, was he wasn't the best of drivers. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not sure if you've been in vehicles where the driver is not as smooth as other drivers. And so this driver would usually kind of push his foot on the gas pedal and then let it off frequently. And so we kind of go, we would go forward, then we would slow down, we'd go forward, we'd slow down. And this whole time, I'm not really easy with my selling of my stomach, and so I got quite nauseous. And so for frequent times, I would actually get car sick uh, quite a bit, so much to the point where I said, well, I gotta do something about this. I need to find some way to actually kind of figure out how can I actually resolve this issue of being frequently car sick when I go on Sundays to church. And so I decided to do some research. I decided to figure out how can I actually prevent car sickness. And one of the things I found out was that when it comes to um, looking at uh, ways to kind of prevent car sickness, one of the things I found was really helpful in advice was actually focusing on a kind of single point. Focusing on a single point on the horizon, which helps you kind of to not get dizzy or distracted when you're driving. And so this helped me so much to really just prevent my eyes from kind of wandering off and kind of get caught up with the whole motion of the vehicle of going back and forth. And so I think that's true too in the Christian faith, that when there's times in our life where we're going and we're feeling quite disoriented or distracted or disturbed, that we kind of need to set our eyes in a fixed place. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 to 3, it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I don't know about you guys, but during this pandemic, my heart and my soul have sometimes felt quite wearied, quite weathered, in fact. And I wonder if that's the same thing true for all of us, too, that during this pandemic has challenged us, has really stretched us in many ways that we've never thought we would be stretched before. And so sometimes even our relationship feels with God at all and at all time low. We sometimes feel like we lose heart, we lose passion in our faith, we lose that spiritual vibrancy that we remember that we once have had. And so this pandemic has gotten us, many of us, feeling weathered and tired and exhausted. And so what's going to change our wearied faith like next week? Tomorrow, today, in fact. What's going to help us to persevere during these difficult seasons where we find ourselves in our life? Because let me tell you, there's a lot of times where I just feel so exhausted that I just need to find a fixed point and where I can be grounded in my faith. 
I need to be able to stand firm when a lot of times I feel like I'm, my knees are shaking and, and I really just want to give up sometimes. So how do we actually stand firm in a season like this? Well, I think what we need is something called gospel perseverance. In fact, Paul really speaks an important word of encouragement to Christians who were alarmed from the outside sources. They were shaken up in their faith too. And I think this is what God wants us all of us to hear right now in this season of life of how we can also be encouraged to have gospel perseverance. And so I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, could you please turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Great, and so as you're flipping there, you probably want to see, you probably want to move your way to uh, Colossians, uh, Gentiles, you probably, if, you, if, if you got to, sorry, Galatians, if you've gotten to there, you probably need to move a little further to First uh, and Second Thessalonians. Uh, if you kind of got into First, Second Timothy, or Hebrews, you kind of got back like a little too far ahead. You need to go back a little bit. And so, Second Thessalonians, chapter two, verses thirteen to seventeen. This is where we'll see our encouragement of gospel perseverance. Let's help me pray and ask God for strength uh, today. Okay, let's pray first. God, our Heavenly Father, uh, sometimes we hear so much information, so many things that disturb things within us, that we need strength, Lord God, to persevere. Things that really shake us up. So God, would you help us, Father, in this moment, in our time together, Lord God, would you help us, Father, to illuminate your truth, that we would see your word, that it would really be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path? God, would you help us, Father, to walk in it? Because it's tough, Lord God tough in this life. And so God, would you give us strength, Lord God, to persevere in light of what we've seen of who you are and what you did for us on the cross. So Lord God, would you be glorified and honored today? And God, would you give me strength, Lord God, to be faithful to your word? And so we praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 2 Thessalonians is really largely about growing in godly perseverance. And this is really definitely one part that clearly expresses that idea and so Paul is writing to a young church that was surrounded by both Greek and Roman and Jewish influences that were really shaking up their faith. And so the question we need to really think about is how were these Christians to persevere when they were being challenged, when they were being told to conform to a different idea of belief? How were they to persevere in these situations? Well, let's read from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. And it says this, but we ought always to thank God for you. Brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we pass on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I think Paul really gives us three important parts of how we can have gospel perseverance. And the first part is this, that gospel perseverance knows our identity. 
Like we know who we are in Christ by what Christ has done for us on the cross. And so gospel for perseverance knows our identity. Uh, Paul really takes some time to outline the basic understanding of a believer's understanding of salvation, that they are saved. Now, when it comes to the doctrine of salvation, many times when we study it or when we hear about it, there are really three parts of a whole. That this idea of salvation comes with the idea of justification, sanctification, and glorification. The first part is justification, and we'll see this here actually in verse 13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved. This is God's legal declaration that you are saved from the penalty of your sins. That when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are justified. Wayne Grudem defines justification as this, an instantaneous legal act of God in which he thinks of our, of, of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us and declares us to be righteous in his sight. And so when we stand before God, we are seen as righteous before him. Not a righteousness of our own, but a righteousness that's given to us through Jesus Christ. As C.H. Spurgeon said, it is not the doctrine of justification that does my heart good. It is Christ, the justifier. It is Christ, the one who makes us righteous. Romans chapter 3, verses 22 to 24 says this, This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So justification is the first part. The second part is sanctification, that you are being saved. We also see this in verse 13, too, as well, that if you continue to read on, that beginning, uh, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. And so sanctification, this is God's working in you by the power of the Holy Spirit to transform you to become more and more like his radiant son, Jesus Christ. Uh, David Jeremiah said that sanctification is putting into practice what's already been perfected. And Mark Howell really illustrates this really well, saying that God is committed to our holiness. He will chip away at any imperfection and remove every impediment, uh, or, uh, sorry, impediment that keeps us from looking like him. And so God is like this stone sculpture who, when we ask how we could create such a beautiful masterpiece out of an ugly piece of granite, he replies saying, I simply begin with an idea in my mind and chip away at everything that does not look like that image until it remains a masterpiece. And so that really vividly describes the process of sanctification, that God chips away in our life the things that do not reflect him. And so none of us here are a finished work, myself included. I got a long way to go. And God is at work in us and through us to make us look more and more like him. That's good news for us. Because there's things I see in my own heart that I know that I want to see changed. And I'm so grateful that God is working in me to change me, to shape me, to look more and more like Christ. To shape my care and compassion. To rid myself of my pride and my selfishness. And so none of us are a finished work. So what's the difference, though, between justification and sanctification? Well, I found what was really helpful was a comparison chart in the book Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. He says that when it comes to justification, it's this idea of legal standing, a once-for-all time. It's really a, entirely God's work 
It's also perfect in this life, and it's the same and true for all Christians. When it comes to sanctification, though, it's an internal condition. It's continuous throughout life, and we cooperate. It's not perfect in this life, and it's also greater in some than others. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says this, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that is a process of sanctification, that we are all being sanctified in Christ. The third thing, of course, is glorification. And this is one area that we don't really talk very much about, but it's a very important part of understanding salvation, that we, are, that we will be saved in verse 14. In verse 14, it says this, He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so glorification is really the consummation of God's saving work in us. A Wingroom defines a glorification as this. It's the final step in the application of redemption. That it will happen when Christ returns and raises from the dead all the bodies of believers for all time who have died. And reunites them with their souls and changes the bodies of all believers who remain alive. Thereby giving all believers at the same time perfect resurrection bodies like his own. And so we will one day be free from the presence of sin when we are brought to glorification. No more will sin affect our bodies with disease and death. No more, no more will our bodies be subject to decay and disability. Our bodies will be like Christ. Now John Piper said when God glorifies a human being, he grants that person the privilege of beholding his infinite beauty and becoming like him as much as a creature can. And so I can't tell you how much I long for this day where my body will actually be rid of this chronic disease called psoriasis that I have and have had for a very long time growing up. And so this gives me hope that every human being who is affected by the fall, which is all of us, whether we're affected sexually or morally or physically, we know that our bodies weren't what they could be or should be, but in Christ and in glorification, they will be all that we could ever long for and more. There's a future hope that we wait with anticipation and joy. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4 says this, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And so John's thought really helped me a lot in understanding this, kind of remembering this really well, and that giving us a very helpful way of remembering these three parts of salvation. Or he gives us really three tenses, or these three Ps, essentially, which he says penalty, power, and presence. That we have been saved from the penalty of sin. That's justification. That we are being saved from the power of sin, which is sanctification. And that we will be saved from the presence of sin, which is glorification. Currently, we have been justified and we are being sanctified. And we, of course, await to be glorified. And so gospel perseverance really holds fast to their salvation identity in Christ Jesus. Gospel perseverance knows who we are in Christ. What gets me through the difficult times in life is remembering who I am in Jesus. I'm a child of God. I'm redeemed. I'm reminded I'm chosen and I'm loved. I'm justified. I'm being sanctified. And I will be glorified in Christ. So amidst the surrounding pressures that you may feel, how it's squeezing upon you, how then should we respond? For some of you who are actually going to school very soon, you feel that pressure already. How do you respond with gospel perseverance? Well, as Christians, we should respond, secondly, that 
when it comes to gospel perseverance, it gives a devoted response. Give a devoted response in light of the pressures that you feel. Continue to cling on and hold fast to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So give a devoted response to Jesus. Verse 15 says this. If you read back again, it says this. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. And so Paul encourages these Christians to stand firm and to hold to the teaching of God's word. When I looked at other translations of this word stand firm, it was pretty clear. Like in the NASB, it was stand firm. In the ESV, it was stand firm. In the NLT, it was also stand firm. Like there's no debate on how to translate this word from ancient Greek to English. But we are to stand firm, to persevere, to keep our ground. So why is this important for Paul to tell these Thessalonians to stand firm? Well, if you look back to the beginning of chapter 2, there were some things that has really been circulating at that time that Paul really needed to warn them about. If you look back in the beginning part of chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, it says this, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. There was kind of circulating, circulating around within the church false prophecies and false prophecies about the future and even like false letters that were saying that this is from the apostles, but it actually wasn't. These were the things that were shaking up the Christians in those times. And so Paul encourages these Christians in this passage to remember who they are and to hold fast to the word of God. In days like today, I think we desperately need the same. That we need a clear and constant reminder of our identity in Christ. And we need to hold firmly to the word of God, and that's gospel perseverance. In a retreat I attended last year, I was reminded really by the importance of focusing on the important things in life. The speaker told us about a story about Steve Jobs, that when Jobs returned to Apple in 1997, it was producing a random array of computers and peripherals and all kinds of different activities that was going on in the business. And they were kind of getting unfocused in what was really important. After a few weeks of product review sessions, he'd finally had enough, really. And he said he'd stop. Like, we should not do this anymore. Why are we dividing our attention so much in so many different places? And so he went up with a magic marker to a whiteboard, and he drew essentially a two-by-two two grid. And he said, here's what we need, he declared. He said, atop the two columns, he wrote consumer and also pro, and he labeled the two rows uh, desktop and portable. Uh, and so Steve Jobs really told his team members that what we need to focus on is really four great products rather than the dozen products that we had already, and we're trying to focus on different things. And so for each quadrant, they kind of focus on a specific uh, product. And all our products should be canceled, he said. There was really a stunned silence. Like, why would you want us to kind of do less here and just focus on these things, opposed to when we can really diversify and, and, and kind of grow this business in different ways? And so by doing this, though, of focusing on these four main things, Apple really was saved. It really saved the company. And so Steve Jobs really said that deciding what not to do is as important as deciding what to do. That's true for companies, and also it's true for products, he said. And so even as Christians, we need to focus on what's important. Is there so many things in your life that you're trying to diversify and trying to do so many different things that you're kind of stretching yourself thin? Focus on the things that really matter. Focus on the things that will last. 
And I think sometimes when it comes to living in these times, it's easy to be swept away with the things that aren't. It's easy to be swept away by what culture says you should focus on, which really is a chasing after the wind sometimes. And so focus on the things that you can hold and grip onto that really would strengthen you and help you throughout your entire life. Paul was saying, in light of who you are in Christ, stand firm. Don't waver. Don't allow these false teachings to really shake you up. Rather, hold on to the teachings which you know to be from us. Hold fast to God's word, and that's what's important. Do you remember what Isaiah 40, verses 6 to 8 says? It says that all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flower of the fields. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You and I won't be here forever. That's the reality. Even the flowers and the grass that we see outside this church won't last forever. But when we're all gone, God's word will still remain. And so hold on to the word of God, which stands forever. And when you do this, do you know what happens? Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 says this, Blessed or happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yield his fruit in seasons, and his leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. When we hold fast, when we live according to God's word, we're like a tree that's planted near a river that nourishes us, that strengthens us, that gives us a direction, that guides us in our life. Hold fast to God's word. That's the blessing of delighting and meditating and treasuring God's word in your life. And so Christian, in light of who you are in Christ, stand firm. It's tough. It's tough to do that. I know something that we say so easily, it is tough to do that. But know who the one that you look to and keep your eyes fixed upon has stood firm in your place. Hold fast to God's word with everything you got and never let it go. For that is how we persevere in every situation and every circumstance. Gospel perseverance knows our identity and gives a devoted response. And so our perseverance is really rooted in the gospel. Just as Christ lives, so we live too. And so we couldn't stand firm if it wasn't for Jesus. Like what motivation and strength would we have to stand firm amidst the chaos if we didn't have a Savior who persevered on the cross for us? This is why the cross of Christ is our great encouragement to persevere. That thirdly, gospel perseverance knows our gospel encouragement. That you have an eternal encouragement in Christ Jesus. So gospel perseverance knows our gospel encouragement. Look with me at verse 16 and 17 in chapter 2 again. Verses 16 and 17 says this, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. We are loved by his amazing grace. That God's love can't be earned. There's no amount of good deeds that you could do that would make God love you any more or less. God doesn't love us because we're lovely, but because he is love. Timothy Keller said that the security of Jesus' love enables me to need less and to love more. 
It's his amazing, gracious love that strengthens us and encourages us in every good deed and word. And so Paul says that God has given us eternal encouragement. So what does Paul mean here, eternal encouragement? Like, I love having little kind of words of encouragement, and they're great for periods of time. But what's an encouragement that keeps on giving us an eternal encouragement? Well, in many ways, this encouragement that we have in light of the love and grace of God has given to us is one that really never ends. No matter the situation we find ourselves in, we have eternal encouragement in Jesus. But what is a greater encouragement than knowing that we are being, that we have been saved, that we're declared righteous, right, justified, that we're redeemed, that we're set free from eternal punishment, that we are being sanctified, that God lives in us and transforms us by his power, and third, that we will one day be glorified with resurrected bodies by his power, by his by, his, by even like what seeing what Christ has done for us, that he was resurrected too. That death and disease and the presence of sin will be completely defeated. And as Revelation chapter 21 verse 3 says, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. It doesn't get much better than that. This is an encouragement that goes beyond the grave for us. It is an encouragement that we ought to remind ourselves daily and that we preach to ourselves the gospel each and every single day. And so remind yourself again and again of what Christ has done for you on the cross. Uh, Jerry Bridges, who really kind of popularized this phrase of preaching to yourself the gospel, uh, tells of a time in his early 30s when this became all the more clear for him. He assumed the gospel was just for people who didn't believe in Jesus and that when he believed in Jesus, he thought that he didn't need the gospel anymore, only except to share with others. And so in 1962, he decided to serve overseas for a missionary agency and told about how Satan really challenged him and used this situation to, to attack him. And Satan would accuse him, saying, who do you think you are? Trying to minister to these people when you have so many problems of your own. You probably aren't even a Christian. Jerry said that those were the thoughts that were being planted in his mind. And to respond to these false accusations, Jerry said that he went back to the gospel and reminded himself of some of the old gospel hymns and recited the lifeline verse that he really held dearly for him, which was Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, which says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It was this verse that really God had used in his life to speak truth into his heart and mind that Satan tried so hard to deceive and discourage. And so Jerry even goes on to say that there's probably numerous gospel verses in the Bible, but that was, for some reason, the one that he clung on to. And I want to encourage you to remember some of those gospel verses in your mind. Jerry initially thought that this was a unique problem to him, but he realized that what he was learning was really applicable to all believers. Even if you study the book of Galatians as well, that when the Galatians is written, it's written to church members, it's written to the believers, and he tells them the gospel. The gospel is for really for believers as well as for unbelievers. And when it comes to realizing the depths of our sin, the more we realize that, the more we realize how amazing God's grace is to us. Uh, Timothy Keller said the gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared to hope. 
So let that encourage and strengthen your hearts in everything you say and do. So when's the last time that you remind yourself of your identity in Christ? Is there something that's going on right now that's trying to challenge you, that's really trying to accuse you or change what you really know is true and what Christ has done for you on the cross? When's the last time you remember what Christ has done for you? We sing these songs, but don't let these songs that we sing just remain here on Sundays. Let them carry through throughout the week for you. Are you shaken up or are you standing firm in the faith? Are you holding fast to the word of God? Are you holding on to false teachings of this world? Are you living in the love and grace that God has given you? Are you deceiving yourself by thinking you can earn it by your good works? Or are you abusing it by thinking you can continue to go on in unrepentant sin and saying that God, God's going to forgive me no matter what, so I'll just continue on living in sin? And I want to encourage you to trust in Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Believe in him and be saved. If you have not made the decision, I want to encourage you to, to, to really make the decision today. To ask in your heart, to change your heart, the only one who can. When Christ, what Christ has done for you on the cross really changes who we are. It helps us to stand firm. It enables us to stand firm and strengthens us with eternal encouragement in every good deed and word. And so when it comes to gospel perseverance, it really knows our identity. It gives a devoted response, and also it regularly reminds ourselves of our gospel encouragement. So take some time this week to remind yourself of what Christ has done for you, of who you are in Christ, and let that encourage your hearts in every single thing you say and do. Let's pray. Our God, our Heavenly Father, it's easy, Lord God, to be forgetful. It's easy, Lord God, to forget our Creator, but we remind our God again and again that even the book of Ecclesiastes says to remember your Creator in the days of your youth. So for all of us, Lord God, we pray that you would help us, Father, to remember, remember you all the more, Lord God, to place our hope in you, that when our souls are downcast, when, we're, when even within us feels so disturbed, may we put our hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. God, would you help us, Father, to continue to cling to you with everything that we have. God, help us, Father, to stand firm when our legs are shaking, when our knees are buckling, when we feel like we want to give up. God, help us, Father, to have perseverance in seeing how you persevered for us on the cross. So God, would you continue to encourage us throughout this week and months and even years ahead that, God, you are in control. That, God, I know that I'm not in control. I don't have, have all things together, and we don't have all, hold, hold all, the, all the things together, but you hold all things together with your sovereign hand. So may that encourage us, God, that we are never alone. And so, God, would you bless our time, Lord God, as we go from here, Lord God, serving, loving one another, that would you increase our faith and grow us, Lord God, our love for you and for others. We praise in Jesus' name.